0: 4Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give 4Tales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I am joined by my friend Tejal Patel. She's the CEO of neemtree Hospitality, amongst other things. Uh, Tejal, why don't you say hello and give a little background.
1: Sure, so hello everyone. Hi Joseph, thanks so much for having me. Um, my name is Tejal Patel and I'm the president and CEO of Neemtree Hospitality. Um, it's a venture that I created right before the pandemic and before Stuff hit the fan, if you will. Um, But prior to starting my company, um, and since the beginning of my career, I've worked in all different areas of hospitality. I've worked in restaurants and events and consulting, um, and I went to school for hospitality as well. So um, it runs in my blood. Um, I'm a third generation hotelier. Um I wear a lot of different hats. Um I serve on a couple boards such as the International Hospitality Institute and I'm also the female director for the Western Division for the Asian American Hotel Owners Association. So
0: Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's great. So it, it's funny that you mention um being third generation hotelier. So um I remember when I met my first Patel and uh <laughs> And then I remember meeting my second and I was like, Oh, do you? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, Patel's like Smith and Jones. You're going to meet a lot of us. I was like, Oh, all right. (laughs) So it's great. (laughs) Um, anyway, so it's a great name. And uh, what I have found is very rooted in hospitality and restaurants as well. Um, just in general. And you mentioned the pandemic. So while I think it's We've been trying to not talk about it much. It just seems like every time we feel like we're starting to come out, a new variant hits. So I think it's still very top of mind. Um, and one of the things that you and I talked about prior to the show is just the the impact on mental health that it's had in the workplace, not just personal, but in the workplace and the industry. Um, how, how do you think we can prevent burnout? So for those that don't know, like, I mean, I know stories of hoteliers and not boots on the ground folks, but like of big corporations getting into the trenches and doing laundry and, you know, making beds literally, um, that will create burnout. So how do you think we prevent that? How do you think we get back to, uh, a variation of normal?
1: You know, it's, it's so, that's such a hard question to answer, you know, because it's, it's, kind of multidimensional in a way. I mean, burnout, being in hospitality, you are constantly at service to others. And no matter what's going on in your life, like you got to put on a face and and give the best service that you can, you know? So there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot that you're kind of like, pushing down emotionally. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the number one way to really just try and avoid burnout in the workplace is to actually talk about it. You know, um, I think that's the number one way to approach any issue. And it's just one of those things that's hard to bring up just because it is so personal. I think that if we created a little bit more empathy within our workplace culture, then maybe we can kind of make those steps into uh, preventing burnout for the future.
0: Yeah. And it's really difficult too, when you're looking at your, um, your team, you know, every single industry has this, but you have the folks that are dedicated that will go above and beyond. They see the future path. They, um, they care. Um, and then you have everything in between the whole way down to, I barely show up. Um, and I think historically many businesses have been able to get by with that grouping. But now I think what happens is the people who care are the ones that are strained. They're the ones that are all the pressures put on the people who are just barely showing up actually literally aren't. Um, I think they're the ones that have either quit or not come back, um, or a variation of, uh, how do you, how do you foster support for those rock stars that are still in the trenches with you? To ensure that they don't leave. Because, I mean, the Great Resignation is very, very real across all the industries. So how do we prevent them from leaving?
1: I think that, you know, with the Great Resignation, which is still continuing, I mean, we really saw um, why people left. But it's important for us to figure out why do people stay? And I think that if we really just... Hone into that piece and really kind of pull out what is driving our team members who have stuck with us, then that's and continue cultivating that. Then that's how I think we can keep them from uh, leaving. I think what's also important is that we create a culture, a positive culture to where, you know, we all have probably worn a billion different hats during the pandemic, you know, and it's. I lost my train of thought because I just remember that I was making rooms in the middle of <laughs>
0: <You> know, <laughs> I was making rooms. You <laughs> it was like PTSD.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Oh my, okay. Sorry. We're gonna have to probably cut that. But-
0: <laughs> no, no, it's fine. No, it's, it's real. Um, and no better representation of the pandemic, honestly, where it's like, we were just hit with so many things. Right. And
1: yeah, and you just create that culture. I mean, there, a lot of people left because the culture was bad. Of their organizations. And I completely understand that. But, you know, it, with the people who have stayed, you can revamp, you know, the way that you do your day to day and how you bring in new people and how you, how you, um, I guess, mentor these people mm. and, that, you know, create leaders out of them. If they stuck with you this long, then they can be your next GM or, or next head person. You know, it shows that they're caring, they're committed.
0: Yeah. And showing them the path, I think, is important too. Absolutely. Um, you know, so there was, I think prior to the pandemic and even actually in it, if I recall correctly, uh, the, the brands were starting to spin off these niche focus brands. Um, and, and to me, I was, um, a bit rah, rah about it. Cause I'm a very big, uh, you know, a purveyor or supporter of niche, um, vigor being case in point, like we easily could have been a general practitioner, but. We zeroed in, and that that helped fuel our success. Uh, and I think the same goes for every industry. However, I, I think there's a bit of poaching that may happen um, from your own pool. So like when Marriott spins off um, uh, Moxie, and now I know that they're looking at two different groupings, but is do you think it's really an effective growth strategy? And do you think it's something that's going to continue... When we see so much uncertainty in the travel industry right now,
1: so like, um, if, if I'm, if I understand correctly, are you asking that? Do you, is the is having niche properties and boutique properties kind of be the the norm now? And if if that's feasible,
0: yeah, do you think that's going to like take over the the old guard standards of? You know, I hate to pick on Sheridan, but Sheridan <laughs> or, or, you know, the the ones that everyone knows, just they just know and they don't even know how they know it. They just do. But these niche, do you think these niche ones are the path to the future? Because a lot of them were started. The ideation was started prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And now I think what we see in the consumer base is the need for excessive trust. And these new ones, are are they going to be able to build that? So I just I'm looking for a little bit of, uh, you know, um, Soothsaying or future casting here?
1: Yeah, no, you know it's I. I love a good niche product, you know. I love a good unique restaurant and hotel. Um, but the one I live in an area, I live in a market where there's just so much overdevelopment, hotel-wise, um, across all sectors, and um, and that's the Greater Houston market. And so I, I feel like whenever there's something new and exciting, everyone just jumps onto it. So during the pandemic, for example. Um, Everyone saw how extended state properties were doing phenomenal. They were actually, uh, they were pandemic proof. They performed the best. Mm. And alongside that, economy-scale hotels. So now I'm seeing a lot of interest in those types of properties. What I saw during the pandemic was the same thing with the niche uh, product. It's something that the younger traveler wants. And I feel like as if it's going too fast, you know, and and it's just, I feel like it's going to become The same thing as having the millions of mid-scale properties that we see, you know, on every single corner, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's the niche, the, it's just going to become common, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's going to become as common? I mean, let's take the restaurant industry. I mean, in this day and age, just open up DoorDash or Grubhub. You have everything you could possibly want to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so do you think that is the way of the future or do you think m- meaning like luxury brands stop trying to appeal to anything less than luxury um, because there are so many niches that gobbled them up? You have, for instance, even hotels, which focuses on the health conscious traveler. Um, you have is it called true TRU? I believe it's Hilton. That's uh-huh. true. Yeah. You know, you have that one. I'm not really sure what that's for moxies for the young kind of party. You know, the, uh, I'm traveling because I'm hanging out with friends or there's an event or something yeah. like that. And, and all those seem to gobble up that middle ground, you know, cause we, you know, we'll always have the comfort suites. We'll always have the La Quintas and stuff like that, which are the lower scale or not lower scale, but you know what I mean? Um, affordable mm-hmm. economy, um, so, do you think that you start to see more of a separation at the top and surrounding those niche areas?
1: Well, I, I see a little bit of. I do see that separation, but at the same time, I mean, we got to be mindful of how many brands there are, right, in the market. Everyone, every single brand is coming out with a lifestyle brand. They're coming out with a soft brand. They're mm-hmm. coming out with a, a some product that is for you know the young people and, and whatever you know. So it's like even though it's because of all the brands that are hopping onto it, I feel like it's just going to become more common. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, we're going to see a little bit more, um, that, that space, that, that separation, but I don't think not for long. And now we're seeing that there's some interest in, um, in converting like economies, like hotels, like, you know, those roadside motels into like really nice, like, kind of like, um, upscale boutique. You know, Mm. it has that old motel charm, but you know, you're getting a higher ADR. So, um, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of those different products pop up. And I think that's something we're going to see for the next 10 years.
2: Yeah.
0: It, it, so in that same vein, do you, do you think, um, the, the brands that have been created as re- revisionist brands, um, like, uh, uh, Delta hotels, for instance, Delta hotels, whole thing is to clean up an older hotel with finishes and launch it underneath a different brand. Do you see them as the post pandemic kind of, uh, Hero maybe is the right word heroine I don't know
1: <laughs> hero um
0: like the path forward basically
1: I, yeah definitely I mean for sure you see i delta hotels I definitely can say that they're you know kind of leading the way in scooping up some of these old properties um making them better, flipping it and turning it into a better product and I mean there's opportunity in that versus like building ground up because building ground up right now is just a nightmare, it's so expensive, mm-hmm. you know. And um, the construction costs are at an all time high, and so you know, taking a distressed property, flipping it, and put another flag on it. I mean, that's that's the way to do it, and I, I see other brands are doing that too, such as Sinesta. Sinesta has been doing that after they acquired a, a red lion, so
0: hmm, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think in some of that's uh, spurred on because you know, a lot of support was lost from, from brands, not lost, but like reduced. I mean, they had their choices to make too. in you know, putting people on sabbatical and, you know, how much can you, let's say market a brand when no one's traveling and, you know, how much are you going to really invest in marketing the food and beverage outlets when no one's dining in? Um, and I think that caused a lot of, not necessarily second guessing, but big pivoting, not, not temporary, but like, okay, how do we sustain and and get back to hopefully growth? We also saw a lot of, uh, hoteliers, there was a dark side to it. From what I understand, I, I heard rumors, uh, or anecdotes secondhand of people jacking up prices because they were just trying to get the money in the door that they lost. Um, how do you think we, do you think there was trust lost? First of all, from hotel and traveler slash guest and then how about brand and hotel management companies like do you think there was trust lost there and how do we rebuild that
1: i so the first part where we're talking about trust between the traveler and the hotel i don't think there was necessarily trust lost i i like to think that most of the travelers that came through our properties were um, they were understanding of the situation, you know, I mean, you, sometimes you have those, you know, people, those platinum guests or whatever, who are like, I didn't get breakfast. This is ridiculous. I'm never coming back and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, <laughs> like we couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Like we, like we couldn't, um, right. so I don't think there's necessarily trust loss there. I do think that during the pandemic, a lot of owners, I mean, I think relationships were really tested during this mm-hmm. time. And especially with franchisors and, and we're franchisees of, of a couple of brands as well. And, you know, I, um, I feel that some were supportive and some weren't, you know, when we needed some relief, for example, um, a little bit of a cut on marketing fees and, and you know, the, the royalty fees and things like that. It wasn't really not many brands were forthcoming. A couple were such as Red Roof and G6, but others were kind of late to hop on. And, and Best Western was one of the first people to do that. Mm. Um, you know, whenever you go and sign a franchise for whether like anything, a restaurant or, or a hotel, you know, the franchisor is like, you know, all about, Oh, I got you, I got your back. This is a partnership, you know? And I think right. this, is when all the partnerships were tested, even with lenders, even with your financial institutions, you know, so some people, so one of our members, actually, they've, uh, uh they've sued their hotel brands. They've sued, uh, IHG and choice.
2: Um, oh wow!
1: Yeah, so there's a lawsuit going on, which and and it's sad, it's unfortunate, you know, um, because there' are so many of our members, like our franchisees, of those of those brands, and so um, yeah, it's a whole thing. And and he did it because he's fed up. He felt that he didn't get the support that they promised, and that he hasn't seen a return on his investment, which is investing in this brand. So, um, yeah. I think that varies, like you know, case by case, but. The the majority sentiment is kind of like, okay, like we're kind of cautious now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so difficult when you're in the throes of chaos and uncertainty, it's really difficult to not be myopic, um, and think long-term, but that's essentially right. Like when someone says to you professionally or personally that I have your back and that we're, this is a partnership that is rarely actually tested you know, and when it is, I think that's, that's where believability and trust is reinforced or, you know, indefinitely broken, you know, it's like, well, you know, you said you had my back and that this is a partnership, but when push came to shove, you didn't. Um, and I think maybe that's where the door starts to open to, uh, de-branding and taking on a different brand. And, um, you know, we have so much real estate these days available still, um, to do things like that, it is a wonder why a lot of folks choose to build, especially with the costs, you know, and, and the time, you know, I I was speaking to um, someone who's consulting on marketing our agency and he's like, okay, well, when is this project going to be done? I'm like, it's a hotel. He's (laughs) like, right. I was like, Like, well, I don't even think they've poured the foundation and he's like, okay, but we did the work. I'm like, yeah, because we needed to do the work and now we wait
1: and
0: he's like okay so when i'm like 2024 (laughs) like it's
1: i mean even with like our property i mean like we i had signed my first franchise agreement in 2019 the year end and that's when i you know filed my paperwork for the company and stuff and then um it was a waiting game we didn't break ground until like like last january like a year ago
2: that's when we finally
1: broke ground and you know we're we're Working on hopefully opening in February, you know, and, and we're pretty lucky that we're able to build a property at 2019 levels. Otherwise, this property would have been like, you know, 1.5 times more. So, um, it's yeah,
2: yeah, that's
0: crazy, you know, and, and we feel it even on the lower scale too. Um, we're going through renovation of our house, you know, and just the costs there. Yeah, I can imagine when you start to. It, you know, just look at it from a more macro lens and exponentially increase all those uh all those numbers, like how astronomical it gets. Um, it's pretty insane. I, I think, you know, we, we've tapped on a bunch of issues that are happening. I think resilience really is the <laughs> is the defining characteristic that we need to see more of from every individual involved, as well as brands, uh companies, and partners. Um, and you just recently spoke on the topic of resilience at the global hospitality summit uh, what do you think we learned from the pandemic with res- with regards to the power of resiliency from leadership throughout the organization
1: my hope is that we learned really i hope we really learned like what makes our business run you know like really what is the heart of hospitality you know and 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 it's a spirit it's not really like real a lot of people just look at hotels and restaurants as just a piece of real estate as an investment. I get it, of course. I mean, I love to make money just like the next person. But these types of properties, these assets, they don't function like any other commercial asset, you know? There's a specific business that's going on inside and the relationships that are being built, they're not necessarily transactional, you know? And so your your business, your your at the end of the day, your ROI is based on what the people inside are, are doing for your customer. So I think hopefully that kind of finally, um, I hope that really just got drilled into some people's heads. I hope. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: But I also think that we have learned that we need to diversity is important, absolutely. But there are other facets to it, such as equity and inclusion. Because diversity, mm-hmm. you know, we you can have. I mean, we can have people that look like you and me and, and everyone else stand up in a room, but are, do they feel included in their conversations, right? How are we cultivating our people? And I think that's something that we've we learned. Um, I hope that we continue on that momentum and we continue having these conversations because whenever things are bad, you know, that's when we talk about it. But then when things are good, we like forget about the bad times. You know, we forgot yeah. it. we forget about the issues. And so... Yeah.
0: Well, it's easy as as it slingshots back to, um, you know, I mean, as with anything, when you kink a fire hose and then let it go, it doesn't go back to normal. It goes back to exaggerated force. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the same thing here. It's the same kind of phenomenon where it's easy to really, when you have some extra time forced upon you to really think about what you could be doing better. And then when you unkink the hose, you're you're not just backed into the grind, you're back into an accelerated grind. And I think one of the hardest things for leaders right now is it's very I mean, gosh, if there was ever a metaphor, roller coaster would be it. Just when you think we've crested and we're about to come off of the pandemic, Delta hits. Just when we think we've crested and we're about to come out of that, Omicron hits. Now we can have arguments as to the, you know, severity and uh the, you know, um, It's a word I'm looking for, like how we're reacting. Is it in line with the actual threat? Um, We could have arguments about that or discussions about it, but nevertheless, it still shakes travel. It still scares people. And especially when you start to see blockages and shutdowns of travel from other countries, the fear just gets stoked all over again. Um, You know, here we thought the embers were going to burn out, but instead, boom, we have a fire again. And it's really tough to, I think, maintain resilience when you're going through that when you don't know what literally tomorrow will bring are there things that you've done um with within your leadership and organization to at least help people along with being more resilient and becoming comfortable with the pivot
1: i like to i mean i feel that it's just important i mean huh you know, I'm trying to like be honest here and then also kind of tell you like what I do like leadership wise, because honestly, like it, I, I'm in the same boat. It's so hard to be resilient because it's like, you know, one step forward and two steps back, literally like almost, yeah. all the time like that. So it's been like for like, the last 18 months. And so, you know, I just try to do where I just I talk, you know, and and, and I ask, like, how can I help you? How can mm-hmm. I support you? What do you need? you know? And I think that's really just all of, that's all we can do is be there for each other. I think we kind of figured that out at the beginning of the pandemic and we just have to continue just being there for each other genuinely. Um, and and just being good human beings to one another, honestly.
0: Yeah. Actually reclaiming the humanity of it and not just that leader subordinate relationship. That is honestly a byproduct of the industrial area, right? Where, Mm -hmm. you know, these, I hate to say it, but they're almost not human to some folks. It's like, no, you're the person that does the thing. You're a product to me. Um, and now now I think that's become drastically reduced over time. But you're right. We really need to find that humanity again. You know, and it, it'd be interesting to try this out. But, you know, leaders oftentimes have very good negotiation skills. Um, and the key to good negotiation isn't just simply listening or developing the tool set of reading between lines it's about being really really good at excavating true insights mm-hmm. um and so i actually i just took uh i just went through a, the master class with chris voss from a company called black swans group um He used to be an FBI negotiator. So he was the person you called when there was a hostage situation. So just a little bit of stress involved with that. Um, And he goes through negotiation, which, uh, you know, it was really interesting to see his tactics and to learn a little bit about them and how that, um, you know, how that changes the human condition, human psyche. And uh, for those that are watching, you saw it. But for those that are listening, uh, Tejal, even when you said like how you talk to someone, your demeanor changed in a really good way. Um, it, it was genuine curiosity. And I think when that comes from a leader, when it's, you know, not a, what do you need? But a more like, what what do you need? How can I help you? It just, it it disarms people. It, it brings them up to you, you down to them. And I think you're more likely to excavate insights because I think we see uh, a misdiagnosis of, issues that are facing. So let's take the restaurant industry. It's very easy to say that the reason why people aren't coming back to work is because they're being paid by the government. That's one of the narratives out there, right?
1: We are, yeah. We heard the same thing in, in the hotel business too.
0: Right. So it's like, okay, great. They're getting, and while that may be one of the causes, it's not the only cause. And I think it, a lazy leader will take that, say, Hey, that checks out. That's good enough for me. I, you know, we'll just try to pay him more. But what you start to do when you actually use negotiation tactics and you start excavating the real reasons, you actually come up with a bigger set. And one of them may be, I don't feel heard. You know, I don't feel like my leader hears what's really happening or they're so far removed, their insights are actually obtuse. They're not, they're not connecting. And so I think, um, you know, maybe the key to resiliency, one of them is excavating real issues and how to, how to solve them you know, and that issue isn't always money.
1: It's not. And, you know, like to add to your point, I mean, they, they don't, I mean, maybe the problem is like, like as an employee, I don't feel heard. I don't feel supported. Like maybe there, like, there are systems here in place in this establishment, which are conducive to like how I do my day to day. Like there isn't like, for example, um, you know, uh, earlier when we talked about like what some of the lessons we learned from COVID 19, we learned to adopt technology. So the hotel industry has been traditionally uh, tech averse. And now we saw a lot more uh, like hotels implement technology. Now, you know, beforehand, you know, like automation and things like that, we, it was hard to kind of get that implemented in hotels. And so when you give your employees what they need, when you give your staff what they need, then mm-hmm. they're going to be happy and they're going to perform and they're going to go above and beyond, you know, but you kind of have to, you have to have those conversations, you know, you can't just expect that. Oh, like I'm saving a buck here. Oh, they'll deal with it. It's the way we've done it. No, you got to change your ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Technology. There's so much great technology out there. There's more coming, you know, innovation is going to lead this industry forward. And that doesn't mean you have to go, I think to the extreme. So like in the restaurant industry, what we start to see is, uh, the adoption of, um, the automat like the rebuilt automat. So, uh I had uh Stratus Morphogen on a few episodes ago where he has launched Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. It actually doesn't require but maybe four people on staff and that's it. And he's crushing it. They have like 600 already sold in in development, which is crazy. Um and so to me I'm like that's a great idea. But if everyone goes that direction, you're going to leave a white space open. Um, and the white space always gets filled. It's just the way it is. So in the in the hotel industry, I think there's a lot of room for just streamlining. Um, you know, one, one thing in particular is just the check-in, check-out process and keys. Like, just why do I even need that? You know, can't we just get to the point where everything's on the phone or on my watch. And I know some are, you know, I know keyless entries, a big within Marriott. Um, they're, they're trying to continue to roll out. Um, but I, I think smoothing those things over will reduce the need for certain people, uh, on staff and open up the door to get better, stronger talent. And what I mean by that isn't necessarily people who come in strong, but people who have, um, the heart, and the focus and the desire to do well, because it's, you know, a lot of times you can train them on what they need to do, but you can't train eagerness and dedication. Right. right. Um, and I, I love that you tapped into uh, D&I, just diversity and inclusion or DEI, in, you know, equity as well. Um, depending on what you mean by equity, that, I think that gets um, misdi- or misdefined by a lot of folks it just depends who you're talking to however when you're when when you are building resilience there's strength in teams but if you are feeling excluded and not a part of a team for whatever reason your chances of developing the resilience uh muscle resiliency muscle is really reduced um so moving on from resiliency i think let's uh let's get into some fun chat um During the pandemic, we saw a lot of speculation as to how uh, restaurants would pivot permanently. And there there were some things thrown around. I just want your hot takes on this. So one thing that was thrown around is, uh, you know, bifurcating the rooms into apartments as well. So you would have hotel rooms for rent, but you would have apartments as well in the same building. Um, Food and beverage... Could not only service people in the building, but also be optimized for takeout and delivery, um, ghost kitchens, virtual restaurants, all these things. So is there anything that was discussed during the pandemic and implemented somewhere that you feel will continue on? And are there ones that you think were hype and just are never really going to be realized? Oh, and that's a blindside question. So that
1: is like I literally need to think about that. I. Oh.
0: Is there one that was surprising? Like, Oh wow. I didn't think about that
1: in terms of like, so the concept that you just spoke of, like including like food and beverage or just like in general, some of the trends we saw,
0: I think just in general, some of the trends that we saw and and some of the ideas of, of how the hotel industry could pivot, um, well, so
1: one thing we saw was just like changing up like the different revenue streams, right? So one concept was working from the hotel room, which that was a bust. So that <laughs> was like a fail on so many levels, and I thought it would be fun. I mean, honestly, because I, I mean, I quarant—I've been quarantining like with my crazy Indian family, you know, and, and right. so it's like I, I would love some away time, but you know, it's it's I I can see how it wasn't feasible, which is fine. Um. I love the idea of how, so depending on your market, some hotels, they were actually able to, you know, um, the word escapes me right now, but they were able to uh, basically provide student housing for university students and especially international right so those who probably couldn't go home but they couldn't stay on campus either so then you know a lot of hotels were able to provide student housing so i, I love seeing those different revenue streams in that aspect um yeah work from home was a bust i can't really think of anything else really as far as restaurants go um I was a little skeptical about virtual kitchens. I never tried it, of course, but I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm always on the fence about like VR because I just love being somewhere like in person and, and experiencing sure. it, touching it. But um, yeah, and that's probably not even what virtual kitchens are, to be honest. I just assumed it was like like where you sit down and then like you know your food still like comes to you like through Grubhub or whatever, but like you're seeing an experience. I saw
2: someone try. Oh.
0: Yeah, so that that could be um so the virtual kitchen and ghost kitchen um push is essentially like let's just say you have you know Tajal's house of pancakes in your hotel. Um well that's only going to sell one day part. But you have the kitchen, you have the staff, probably have the ingredients, you could create you know bang and burgers and basically continue to make food and just, it's for delivery and pickup only or just delivery only. And oh. so you would never go into the brick and mortar.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I totally, well, man, your listeners are, gonna think I'm an idiot. So,
0: <laughs> well, you know, cause you are a hotel person. You're not a restaurant person, but know, you know, you know and F&B plays like such a big role.
1: Universe. Yeah. So, okay. That makes sense. Well, I saw some VR. Okay. So i meant like VR experiences. So, you know, like in museums and destinations or like, yeah. like VR, you know, like, um, Immersive, like the Full
0: immersive, like they, they're yeah, doing yeah, it with yeah, uh, yeah. Van Gogh.
1: I saw some restaurants want to do it too, like the really like nice, like trendy ones. But it was just like, man, like.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, so that's just me. It's
0: like a kind of like a parlor trick, I think, for restaurants. Um, But I do think there's a way to leverage uh, augmented reality that has very much not been tapped at all, um, as well as some other trends. And so the final question I have before we get to one final, final question. So um, (laughs) the final serious question is, do you have any hot takes or thoughts on um, crypto and Crypto's role in becoming a real currency that can be used for hotel transactions?
1: I will be completely honest. I'm not 100% knowledgeable about crypto. I've been reading on the trends and seeing some hotels that have actually implemented it. And I think there's a future for it. Um, I think that it's going to be a slow rise because, again, there's, I feel like there's just so much skepticism behind it. Um, and, and, you know, we've had the same skepticism since we first heard of Bitcoin. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just going into all these different cryptos. So I think it could definitely be like, you know, a a thing for the industry, um, just hospitality, you know, uh, like, you know, on a full scale, but, um, I I just don't know how quickly that's going to be implemented. And and I don't know if that's going to be, um, well adopted within like, for example, all the brands, like in all Marriott's and, and in all, you know, Hilton's and in all economy hotels, you know what I mean? Right. Like an industry standard. I don't know if that it
0: would to that point. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, because I, I know um Burger King uh launched uh some sort of like I think it was Bitcoin specifically, and I think it's paying off quite well from them. So I think it's gonna take some of these bigger brands to experiment, show good results, and then other people will come on board. Yeah. Um speaking of good results and bad results, how how are the people of Houston with the loss of the world series? Is that or is everyone okay over there? <laughs> Okay, moving on to the I'm final question. I'm about
1: to like end this right now, and all your finals <laughs> are going to just go. You know what? Whatever. You know, you yeah.
0: <laughs> I was expecting uh, much meaner from you when Atlanta won, but well, uh, you it was told a great series.
1: I can't, I can't be a potty mouth on your show, and otherwise the <laughs> vulgarities that were going through my head right now, like, woo.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so the real final question is if you had to spend one final night on earth at any hotel and have one final meal, where would you stay and what where would you eat?
1: Oh my god. Okay, you know what? Like I literally this morning, since like 5 a.m., I was trying to like think of this question, the answer. And I can't pick like one specific one. But um I, I'll say this that I would love to be in something like the um the Amigiri, right in utah or even um i I'm not know, if you've heard of forestis it's a new hotel that opened it's kind of like a wellness hotel it's i think it's in the dolomites in italy okay. and it's just beautiful gorgeous nature with mountains and greenery so just being in a hotel like that just peaceful like i would be that would i would love to go out <laughs> seeing that
2: yeah. um,
1: and then um my last meal. So I love my, my mom makes really good. Um, so it's an Indian dish. It's called mother paneer. Um, and it's my favorite and I love it the way she makes it. So I I think I would love to have that as my last meal. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and did you say it's part of that word uh, paneer? So it's like the cheese.
1: Yeah. It's like a, it's like a, yeah, cheese. Nice. Yeah. That's
0: so yummy. Yeah, I um I know it's a hard question and I oftentimes think about my answers to that and uh, it's always very difficult because when you when you've seen a lot of beautiful places it's like which one do you really want to go to? And I thought about this too, but it, it's between a number of places but I think it also depends on the season. So right now it is cold in Atlanta. I hate the cold so much. And right,
1: Now in Houston, we are just bipolar weather
0: yeah <laughs> i love visiting texas i love visiting um when we like we have work in uh, phoenix for instance i love going out there um i'm i'm the weirdo that will like run around the lake in phoenix in like 105 degree weather like and just love it um so i, I can't get enough heat but yeah, that's I think doable on,
1: because it's dry heat like Houston. He oh god like it's 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 humid heat you know so yeah
0: like- i like that too i like all the heat just okay. heat in general. <laughs> I, I. So long as it's not cold, I'm I'm happy. Um, you know, and if I buy a body of water, it's even better because I can usually jump in it. But um, yeah. yeah. So for me, I think about beach places right now, and we stayed uh, at a place in this archipelago off the coast of Portugal. Actually, technically, in between Portugal and America, and it's called the Azores. The Azor Islands, and okay. um, on the main island, San Miguel, they we sit in an Echo Resort, and I, I could be there right now. That'd be really nice. It, <laughs> it was just, it was just wonderful. Like you, you come in the front door, and your you know bathroom's to the left, and you walk a little further, and the bed is there, and then it's like three stairs down, and it's like a living room that yeah. looks out onto a deck, and it's all on one. This is just one floor. Um, and you walk onto the deck and it's an infinity pool. And in front of there, it's just meadows with some cows. And then over to the right is beautiful, um, volcanic mountain. And then to the left is the ocean. And so it's like almost like three different ecosystems. Yeah. And you, it, it, uh, I, whenever I'm having a stressful day, which is almost every day, I, um, I mentally go there for just like five minutes and just like reclaim some peace. <laughs>
1: What's it called again?
0: Um, the hotel I'm actually completely blanking on. It's an Echo Hotel. I'll put a link in the show notes, though. Okay. Um, but it's it's on uh, Sao Miguel Island in the Azores.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would just... That's the type of place I would like to be, which is like the five hotels that I couldn't pick out of. Like, they're just so peaceful. And like the, it's just, the surroundings are beautiful and I need peace right now. I I need, I need a vacation. I'm tired. (laughs) I want to go to a quiet place. That's like far away from here. And yeah. Turn off the
0: phone. Yeah. I need that too. I say, I say it almost daily to my wife. I'm like, I need a vacation. I need one, please. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, so the name of the Echo Beach Resort is uh, Santa, uh, Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara Echo Beach Resort is what Santa it's called. Barbara. And I'll have links in there. But Perfect. it would be, I want to go there right now. Anyway, Tejal, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for making this happen. And um, thanks for being a good sport about the, the baseball jabs and all of your insights. And I hope this isn't the last time we talk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I hope that your viewers got value or your listeners and viewers got value out of this. And keep up the amazing work. Your content is great. So um, thank
2: Thank you. Thanks so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. fortales Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021. Vigor Graphic Design, LLC. All rights reserved.